What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome, Faith Church. Good to have you guys in the house. Y'all excited to be here? Yeah. Woo, All right. Well, hey, listen, my name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor, and as always, man, it is our privilege to have all of you in the house. Wherever you're from, this is your first time here, want to say welcome. If this is your hundredth time here, man, we're glad that you're back, and we just trust, man, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, if you're brand new, if you're just seeking, if you have questions, or if you feel like you have some answers, that all of us in this room, man, would have an encounter today where God would speak something to our life that would change us and help us in our journey. So I want to welcome all those who are watching online. Let's give it up to our family online, especially those up in Lawrenceburg. I want to say welcome to you guys, man. Glad that you're tuning in. Always excited what God is doing. Well, hey, listen, last week we started a series entitled B. We're just taking a look at the nativity and really what the message of the nativity means for today. And really the way we started it and the way we're going to continue throughout this series is this idea that the nativity is more than a festivity, it's a call to activity. That the Christmas message is more than just a celebration, it's really an experience that God wants us to have. You know, we get in the habit of coming around the holidays and we unpack our Christmas decorations, we put up our nativity scenes and we put up our Christmas trees and then the month passes, we experience maybe a few extra services, we sing some special songs and then when it's all over, we box Jesus back up and we put him back in the attic we put them back in, um, you know, in the basement or in the shed or wherever we keep our Christmas decorations. Now, obviously, nobody would feel that it's that literal, but sometimes, again, the season comes. It draws our attention. We give a little extra attention in the process, and then things just go back to normal. Ultimately, God wants this Christmas message, the message of Christ, the message of a Savior coming, to be so transformed that it affects our entire year, not just a month, not just a week, and certainly not just a few days. So the goal is for us to kind of pull off the bubble wrap of religion and really dig down deep into what this message is all about. So last week we introduced our nativity with the, with the three primary characters of Joseph, Jesus, and Mary. You know, those are the big three. Had a tragic accident in the middle of the week. I actually knocked Joseph over and broke his arm. He was, uh, he was doubtful as of last night. He was still doubtful he would make an appearance um, I thought I was going to have to have a stand-in, a bobblehead of LeBron James in my office. Thought he was going to be a stand-in. And so thankfully, jo thankfully, Joseph was up to week two as well of, of if. But we know that really, and this is our focus, is not just these three, but the idea of the supporting cast. That as you follow the narrative found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, specifically Matthew and Luke, who give more of the details of the birth of Jesus and some of those surrounding characters, we found out last week we, we were introduced to this guy that many of us know. We have him on our lawns or we have him on our mantelpieces. This representation of this group of guys called the shepherds. Now, if you know the story after Jesus was born, the message could have gone out to anybody Eventually, it would go out to everybody, but what is significant is the very first person to get the invitation, to get the notification, to get the announcement of the birth of the Messiah were these lowly guys in a field who were just called simply shepherds. Now, again, culturally, you have to understand that these guys were kind of the lowest of the low. They held the, they held the lowest rung on the ladder. By some people, they were considered less than human. They were considered irresponsible. But yet Christ decided they would be the ones to receive this incredible news of a Savior being born. And when they heard it, they said this, hey, let's, let's go see this thing that we've heard. And they went and they found Jesus in the manger. They investigated this message. And then they decided, hey, let's go tell. And everywhere they went, they shared this experience 
of the Savior being born. And so last week we just said this, hey, the goal of really the nativity is for all of us in this room to be the shepherd, to be a teller. That every one of us in this room, we have a story, and your story doesn't have to be my story, and my story doesn't have to be your story, but all of us have a story of how we've experienced God's grace, how we've experienced his power, how we've experienced joy and hope that only came through Christ, and because we've went and seen, now all of us need to go and tell. So the goal is just to be a shepherd. In fact, we made the challenge last week. That should be a regular part of our spiritual journey. But for this season, the entry-level edition is just to invite somebody to church, get somebody here for one of the Christmas experiences, and watch and see what God will do. So this week, I want to tackle this idea right here. If you're taking notes, you can write this down, that Christmas is a searching season. Christmas is a searching season. Season. What I mean by that is, I mean, obviously, all of our years highlighted at times by searching for different things, but especially as we step into the holiday, Christmas becomes a searching season. It's a searching season because there are people who are searching for the right Christmas decorations, right? All of us, we box them up and we put them away. And I don't know if you guys are like us, the Husky household, but we put all of our Christmas decorations in the large totes. We put them in the attic or we put them in the garage. And then trying to remember what decorations are in what box can sometimes be a challenge. I like the old-fashioned um, redneck Christmas trees, right? Just real simple. My wife likes them nice. It can go in a, in a store somewhere. So like one year she used purple decorations. I'm not really sure who uses purple for Christmas, but I let her have my way and I get my way sometimes, just not on the Christmas tree. But so you have to dig, right? It's a searching season. Sometimes it's a searching season because we're looking for the right outfit for those dreaded Christmas pictures. Sometimes we're looking for a recipe, right? That family recipe that we want to make and share for the, with the rest of our family or the get-together. Sometimes it's a searching season because people are searching for answers and people are searching for hope and people are searching for meaning. A lot of times Christmas comes down to just simply searching for the right Christmas present, right? I mean, think about this. We live in such difficult times that the people we buy for, how do you find something for somebody who already has everything? And so in our household, probably like some of yours, we do a gift exchange, so we draw a name, and everybody buys one present for someone else. Everybody buys a present. Everybody gets a present. And so I drew my brother. I have two brothers. I drew my middle brother trying to decide what to get him. And he's such a great gift giver. Like, he buys you the stuff when you open it, you wanted it, and you didn't even know it existed. I don't know what this is, but I wanted one of these, you know? So I have felt this immediate pressure since I drew his name this year, wanted to get him something really great, feel like he already has everything. But... Most of you guys know me. I'm from Ohio, so I'm always a diehard Cleveland fan for all the sports franchises. So obviously, man, always about the Cleveland Indians, the baseball team. I'm a big fan, obviously, of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Go Cavs. And uh, for better or for worse, I'm a Browns fan. Now, if you know about, know about the Cleveland Browns, they are horrible. The, um, the Cleveland Browns Stadium is also known as a factory of sadness for their perpetual losing but nonetheless, man, as, a, as an Ohio native man, we still celebrate. And so my brother is a big fan. So I thought, you know what? I can get him this past year in the draft. We picked up a pretty good young quarterback by the name of Baker Mayfield. I thought I'm going to get my brother an official NFL Baker Mayfield jersey. Now, here's the thing. I, I just thought, man, there's going to be plenty of them out there because there's not a whole lot of Cleveland fans. But shockingly, I looked everywhere, high and low, and the only thing I could find were double X's and smalls. And he wears, he wears a large right in the middle. And so I'm telling you, I spent several hours on the Internet 
searching all the way started at NFL.com, ClevelandBrowns.com. Then I started going down the line to all the athletic stores. I called local stores, asked them to search shelves. I went so far as going to the Middle East, right? You know where you can get stuff for like 19 cents? But I was afraid like one sleeve would be shorter than the other, so I avoided that. But finally, after several hours of searching, phone calls, going through the Internet, I found a large, official NFL Baker Mayfield jersey. Hopefully he's not watching because there, go, there goes the surprise. But after looking for so long, I sent my sister-in-law, his wife, a text and said, hey, I know there's a $100 limit on the gift, but in light of the amount of time I spent searching for this and the finder's fee, I expect a $1,000 gift in reciprocity. It is a searching season. It's a searching season for all of us. And the reason, really, at the end of the day, it is a searching season is because Christmas started as a searching season. In fact, what I want to talk about today are these guys that are known uh, by some as the wise men, by some as the magi, these guys who are introduced in the Christmas narrative as a group of guys who come searching for the newborn king. And these guys are such... Uh, such of critical importance in the story, you know, it's easy to get a, develop a passivity towards a nativity to just think ho-hum, no big deal, been there, done that. But as we look at these guys called the Magi today, I want us to call, I want to call us back not just to the significance of the message, but to the call of action. That God wants us not again to experience something, God wants us to live something. So let's jump in. Matthew chapter 2 tells us the story of these group of guys called again the Magi or the wise men. And here's what it says, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, stop real quick. This guy by the name of King Herod, he ruled over the area where Jesus was born. And uh, even though he was appointed and ruled underneath Caesar, he ruled in this place. History tells us that he was pretty fierce. He had incredible jealousy issues. If at any time he felt like his throne was threatened, if he felt like anybody was after his position, he was not afraid to take them out. In fact, history tells us that he killed and poisoned family members, including some of his brothers. So when he heard the news that there might be a newborn king, I mean, absolutely, he started going wheels off, crazy jealousy, thinking about how can I capture and kill this newborn king. And so it says this, he, King Herod, called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And the answer was in Bethlehem in Judea. They said, this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully. Everybody say those two words, search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too, if that's what you call it. Yeah, that's not what he wanted to do. And it says, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house where they, and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. 
Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So again, the the story, the narrative introduces us again that there's more than the key three roles of Jesus, uh, Joseph, uh, and Mary. There is bigger. There are, these, there are these assistants. There are these side roles that absolutely play such a key part in the narrative of the Christmas story. Not just the shepherds who are tellers, but it introduces us to these group of guys. We don't know really history, uh, or not history, tradition tells us there were three. History, we don't really know. The narrative in Scripture doesn't tell us. There could have been two. There could have been ten. All we know about these guys ultimately is they showed up searching for the Savior. They were looking for the King. They were in a pursuit of the prophesied Messiah. In fact, when they showed up, here was their question. Where is the newborn King of the Jews? Like, where's he at? We talked about this last week, but it's important to say this, that where would you think you would find a priest? You say, was Jesus a priest? When I say a priest, I mean he was a go-between, and that's absolutely who Jesus was. Jesus came to be our go-between, between us and our Heavenly Father. He came, to be, he came to bridge the gap between creation and creator. He came to restore what was broken between us. Jesus came as our high priest. And so where would you expect the priest to be born but in a temple, but Jesus wasn't born there? He came and he called him. In fact, the Magi said, where's this newborn? Where's the king at? You would expect a king to be born in a palace, but he wasn't born there. We know the story that he got his start in a stable, that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, got his beginning in a barn. And the essence of that story, we talked about it last week, is that the nativity is a picture of how far he was willing to go to save us, that he came to the lowest of lows. He didn't leave heaven. Ultimately, the Son of God stepped down out of heaven. He wrapped himself in humanity. He didn't just come in human form. He came ultimately in the place of a servant born as an innocent child in a manger. And that story is a way of saying that God was willing to go to the lowest of lows, which means no matter how low you are, you might feel in the lowest place in a situation in life. You might feel in the lowest part of life. You might feel as a low life. You might feel in a very difficult, hard place that the message of Christmas and the picture of the nativity is that Jesus was born in a barn. He showed up in a stable to say that he was willing to go to all lengths to rescue all of us that you can't find yourself in a place that's so far down that Jesus can't still reach you. Come on, somebody. And so ultimately, and here's where we're going to go today, is that the nativity is not just a picture of how far he was willing to go to save us, but the nativity is also a picture of how far we should be willing to go to find him. Come on. See, because what we discover about these guys called the wise men is that they were seekers. The wise men were seekers of the Savior. They were people who pursued the prophesied Messiah. And that's just this whole idea that what God calls us to. And I know for some of us every year, you know, pastors like me, we have to get up and you know coming in December, you're going to hear about the Christmas story and how many ways can you shape it. And a lot of times pastors stand up and they'll try to spend a lot of time talking about who the Magi are. There are lots of opinions about who they were, what they were like, where they came from. Ultimately, I would just say simply this. The Bible, all it tells us in the narrative is that they were men from the east. I believe they came from the previous Persian empire. 
During the time of Daniel the prophet, if you're familiar with your Bible in the Old Testament, there were prophets who prophesied, who spoke what God told them to speak about a coming Messiah, that God would send a rescuer, gave them insight about where he would be born and about when he would be born. Daniel gave some of those prophecies. And I believe it was these men who were magi who came up learning those traditions, learning those prophecies. And so they knew about when and they knew about where Jesus would be born. So they just started a pursuit of looking. They were searchers and seekers. But what's really important is not so much who they were, but what they did. See, the reason I believe God's word includes them in this story, again, is not who they were, it's what they did. That the key that God wants us to take away is that God wants you and I to be people who are seekers, that God wants us to be searchers, that no matter how close we are, that we can still get closer. Here's the question, right? How far are you willing to go to find something? How far are you willing to go to find something? Well, obviously the answer is dependent on what? What you're looking for. How important is it to you? How significant is it? How much do you need it? And what we find is if something's really important, man, it's, we'll chase after it. In fact, the length of your pursuit reflects the depth of your passion. How far you're willing to go to look for something shows really how much you need it or want it or desire it. I mean, come on, there's lots of things. This year, a lot of us, man, we've killed ourselves again to find the perfect gift. Some of us, we went through the dreaded Black Friday to get the perfect present. Think about if you lose your keys. You don't give up on your car keys. Why? You got to have them so you'll turn the house upside down to find what you're looking for. If you want it, you'll go to all lengths to find it. All of us in this room have misplaced our cell phones. Come on, I know I'm not the only one that's been talking on it. I don't know. I lost my phone. I'm, I, don't, it's, I don't know where it's at. I have to call you back. When I find my phone, I'll call you right back. Anybody else done that, right? I'm not the only crazy person in the house. And we, we lose that small electronic device, and baby, we're not giving up. Nobody in this room has ever misplaced their cell phones like, I'll find it later. No. Like, we stop right then, and we pursue finding our phone. Now, I want you to know something, man. If you're willing to pursue a phone and pursue car keys, these guys were pursuing something of so much greater significance, and it was the Savior. They were seekers of the Savior. I found something great this year to pursue. Um, Bluebell ice cream. I don't know if y'all know it, but the Yankees, they don't have Bluebell ice cream. I believe the Lord sent me here for you second and Bluebell ice cream first. And so every year they put out new flavors. And have y'all seen the new flavor this year for Bluebell ice cream? Oh, some of you shaking your head. You know what I'm talking about. Bluebell cookie, Christmas cookie ice cream. Oh, praise the Lord. Some of you felt a glory wave through the auditorium. Started speaking in tongues, falling out. So it started making its, making its way on social media. I had not had any, just heard about it, started getting kind of flashes show up. And this thing, man, this place has lost its mind for some Bluebell Christmas cookie ice cream. So we had not had it. So my daughters got together. They decided to call all the stores. It's like they had a map with pins on it, like here, this is food land. And, here's, and they put all the pins on it. They started calling all the stores. They were all sold out except two stores, each individual store, each had one tub. And to make sure we got one of the tubs before they sold, my daughters got in individual cars, went separate directions to both destinations to see, be sure we can get one. Thankfully, neither was sold, which means we got them both, glory to God. Favor ain't fair. Now, I'm just telling you, come on, isn't that crazy? 
I mean, we could have thought, hey, next time I'm at Publix, I'll pick some up if it's there. No way, man. We heard about Christmas cookie ice cream, and we lost our mind. We went to crazy lengths pursuing ice cream. How much greater is the Christ child that he is worthy of our pursuit? Come on, somebody. Be a seeker during the Christmas season. Be a seeker during the Christmas season. Now, here's the challenge, and here's what comes to mind as you think of this idea of seeking God, of pursuing his presence, of, of looking and searching for God. And maybe you've been in church long enough, this, this thought comes to mind, like, why do I need to search for God? Because God is always with me. Pastor, I've always heard people say that God's with me. Why do I need to seek a God who's right here? And you're right. In fact, I've got great news for you. There's like a double positive promise in Scripture that God is with us. In fact, number one, it's part of his nature. It's part of who God is. When you search the Scriptures, God, part of the purpose of the Scripture is to reveal who God is, what God is like. That's why Jesus, one of the reasons Jesus came. Jesus said, man, we have totally messed up understanding who God is. So he had to step out of heaven onto earth to give us a clear picture of what God was like. In fact, he said things like this. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the Father is not a grumpy old man on the throne looking to be the killjoy of life, mad at everybody. He is a passionate Savior who cares about the brokenness of humanity and came down to meet us where we are. And so how do we, how do we get to somebody who's already with us? Again, it's in his nature. His nature is that he's omnipresent omnipresent, which means that God is with us everywhere, all the time, in every person's life. He's with us everywhere. He's omnipresent. Like God wasn't sitting here like, I mean, I can't wait till they get here today. It's going to be good. Man, I can't wait till how much long until service starts. God is not sitting in a building on Sunday waiting for people to show up. God is omnipresent. He is always everywhere at one time. He's with you when you get here. He's with you in the car. He's with you in the shower. He's with you in the cubicle. He's with you in the office. He's with you in the challenging time. He's with you in the valley. He's with you on the mountaintop. God is always with us everywhere at all times. It's his nature. You can't get away from the presence of God because God is everywhere. And it's not just his nature, and this is even more important, I think, it's his covenant promise. Some of the promises that God made to every one of us in this room is that I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And I want you just to get your heart and your mind around that for a minute. You don't need to make a promise that you'll always be with somebody that has it all together. That promise is for people that sometimes messes up that sometimes falls short, that God's saying, no matter how much you struggle, no matter how many times you fall, God's saying, I want you to rest assured I'm never going to turn my back on you. No matter how much you fall, I'm never going to let go of you. I will never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. In dark times, in difficult times, in times that don't make sense, God's covenant promise beyond his nature is, I will be with you even to the end of the earth. When this world comes crashing down around us, God promises to make sure his presence is still with us. What great news. But then it goes back to the question, if God is already with us, then why do we need to seek him? And here's why. Because the issue isn't how close he is to us. The issue is how close are you to him? Because the same way it is in human relationships, you can be really close to somebody who doesn't really care to be close to you. And so God issues all these promises and he tells us, hey, 
come seek me. In fact, you find it over and over and over and over and over again. God calling us through Scripture, hey, come and seek God. Come and seek me. Come and seek me. And here's an idea if you're taking notes. Seeking God is about giving an extreme effort in a fixed focus. Giving an extreme effort like there's nothing wrong. All of us in this room have, pay, have prayed the five-second prayers. The five-second prayer is when you get a pop quiz in school. Dear Jesus, help me, Lord. Five-second prayer is the boss wants to see you in the office before you go home for the day. Oh, Lord, let it be a raise and not a pink slip. Everybody prayed the five-second prayer. Nothing wrong with the five-second prayer, but here's what you need to know. Sometimes in order to get a little bit closer than you are, you have to put in some extra effort, which means you got to put in some extra time. you got to push some other things that are on you out of the way. When I say a fixed focus, how many people know that our life is buried with distractions? We're trying to raise kids and get them to practice this. And we're trying to take tests and go to school. And we're trying to handle this adulting thing. And we have responsibility at the office. And we have responsibility at home. Sometimes we get up in the morning and we hit the ground running. And we have to make our minds shut off when we go to bed at night. Our life is overwhelmed with stuff. And at times God says, if you really want to find me, you have to push other distractions out of the way. And you will. Jeremiah 29, 13, he says, if you look for me wholeheartedly. Come on, everybody say that word, wholeheartedly. That means you're putting some blood, sweat, and tears into finding him. You're saying, does God require that? He doesn't require it because he's already with you. But if you want more of God than you have, if you want to get closer than you are, then you got to put more into your relationship if you want to get more out of it. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. Several years ago, before I, before I came here, our I'll never forget, I, and I, I could share stories like this all day, but it was, it was one of these stories that just, it sticks with me because it was such a, an emotional season. I'd gotten a letter from a lawyer that we were being sued as a church. I was being named in the lawsuit. The church was being named in a lawsuit. We had made a decision. It was, at that time, it was, it was the right decision, was a good decision, was a biblical decision, was a legal decision, but people could still take you to court. And there was this overwhelming pressure like, man, what am I going to do? I immediately got fearful and anxious and nervous. I hated the distraction of thinking about this. I hated, about, I hated the thought of allocating resources that were already precious and rare towards a legal battle. Here's the thing. I'm already, I'm already God's kid. I'm already saved. God's already with me. But I determined in that moment, man, I needed to seek the Lord. And I had lots of friends I could call. I had pastor friends who've been in ministry longer than me. I have lawyer friends who I could call and ask advice. But you know, the first phone call I made wasn't to a man. The first phone call I made was to heaven because I determined I needed to seek the Lord. God, what do you want me to do in this? God, how do I need to handle it? I'll never forget, like, this is not typically my thing. I'm, I've been around the Bible long enough and been a pastor long enough. I know God's word pretty well. And so typically I will read it strategically, but I was in one of those desperate moments that I do what a lot of people do. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what you want to tell me, but tell me something. <laughs> and it went to Proverbs. And a scripture immediately jumped out as I read it. And here's what the scripture was. That if you commit your thoughts to the Lord, he'll establish your ways. And I thought, you know, Lord, I can't change anything about what's going to happen. If it goes to court, doesn't go to court. If we win or lose, I can't fix anything. The only thing I have control over is what happens between these two ears. And so, Lord, I commit my thoughts to you. 
God, you are good and you are sovereign and you are in control. You love me and you have a plan and a purpose for me. You promise to always be with me. And so, God, that's what I'm going to do is I'm just going to trust you. And I just started seeking God. I started declaring his goodness. I started just praying over the situation. And even though I went into it saved, even though I went into it God's kid, when I, by seeking God, I got a little bit closer. And when I stepped out of that time and that season of seeking God, I walked out with a greater confidence. Come on, no matter how close you are in this room to the Savior, you can be a seeker and get a little bit closer. Come on, everybody say, be a seeker. Be a seeker in this Christmas season. Proverbs 8, 17, he says, I love all who love me, and those who search will surely find me. Hebrews eleven six 6 says this, and it is impossible to please God without faith. And anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Lamentations 325, the Lord is good to those who depend on him and to those who search for him. Finally, one more, Matthew 7, 7, this is what Jesus says in the context of prayer. He says, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking. Come on, say it. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. It's kind of like, I would say it this way, um, think about date night. How many people have some date nights from time to time with your spouse or significant other? Come on. What's a date night for me? Stop and think about really, on one level, it almost seems insane that you go to a special place to spend special time with that special somebody. Everybody remembers what it was like. Remember when you started thinking about getting married and we, th- we used to think thoughts like this, I can't wait to wake up to you in the morning. I just can't wait to fall asleep next to you at night and just hold you. Well, wait till you've been married 25 years. My wife's like, scoot over. For real, we go to sleep. My wife puts a pillow between us. So she built a wall. She's been hanging out with Trump or something, built a wall, made me pay for it. <laughs> Come on, I'm, I know. I'm like, what happened to them days? Like, we just, I can't wait to wake up to you. But think about this, right? We, we wake up to our spouse. We sit together. My wife and I, we chat in the morning. We call each other during the day. Sometimes we're able to catch lunch together. We come home together. We eat dinner together. We don't watch TV together. I can't handle our TV. But the point is, I see my wife all day long. Why do we need to go away for date night? Here's why. Because the purpose of a date night is, even though we are with together, we are with each other so often, it always comes with distractions. It always comes when, like, she's not the primary person in my attention and I'm not hers. And so the purpose of date night is to put extreme effort into our relationship, that we're going to go to a special place at a special time that we set aside just for us. And we're not taking any kids with us, and we're going to put our cell phones down, and we're going to give each other our undivided attention because while we have a covenant marriage, we are already one in the spirit. We can afford to get a little bit closer. And if that's true about a relationship with your spouse, How much more is that true in your relationship with God that you belong to him? He loves you. He died for you. And if you put your trust in him, you are already his kid. But no matter how saved you are, all of us can afford to put in some extreme effort in a fixed focus so we can get, come on, a little bit closer. Are you a seeker during this Christmas season? Because the call of the Magi is to be a seeker. They were a seeker of the Savior. They went looking for the King. They went pursuing the prophesied Messiah. And here's what's crazy is you want to know what is 
the most wild about these guys is how far they went, how, the length they were willing to go to find the Christ child. We know a little bit about their history. Knowing they came from the east, they, they traveled somewhere between eight and 900 miles from their homeland to where Jesus was born. Now, eight or 900 miles today is like, I mean, so did like they get a deal on JetBlue? They fly Delta. How do they get there? Eight or 900 miles, baby. They went eight or 900 miles humpback. Like, you know, the, the kids like, are we there yet? That's where it originated right here. Are we there yet? Eight or 900 miles on the back of a camel or a steed, that's how they got there. We also know that it took them somewhere in their neighborhood of two years searching for the Savior. Some of us, we go to prayer and God doesn't speak to us in five seconds and we tap out. We open the Bible and don't read anything we like and we close it up. I'm telling you, let's put in some effort. Let's fix our focus. Let's take God on his promise that if we will go after him with all of our heart, we will find him in a way that we have never found him. Be a seeker during the Christmas season. But the real crazy thing, and I think the, the thing that sets these seekers apart is this. For us, think about this. The focus of our pursuit is usually on attaining a possession. When we pursue something, it's because we want to get something for us. When we pursue something, it's because we want a possession. Think about all the places that we go. If I could sit with you or you could sit with me, if we would drive through this city, you could take me through this town, you would point me to all the places that pertain to you. And if I'm right, I think I am. Most of those places, if not all those places, will be places you go to get something for you. Hey, right there, that's, that's my favorite restaurant. That's where I go for a good lunch. I go to get me lunch there. That's the grocery store. We go there to buy groceries. That's the movie theater. That's where I go to get entertained. That's my church. That's where I go to get spiritually fed. That's my workplace right there. I work there. That's where I go to get a paycheck. The bulk of our life consists of places we go to get stuff for us. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a necessity of life. But here's the question. Where do you go to give? Almost every place we go, we go to get. Where do you go to give? Because the anomaly of the wise men think about this. What sets the wise men apart as seekers is they didn't go seeking the Savior to get something. They went to give something. They showed up carrying gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh to give to the Christ child. They didn't go eight or 900 miles on camelback to say, man, I've got this big prayer request and I need Jesus to come through. They didn't show up saying, man, if I can just get to him, then everything's going to be okay. What was on their mind is not just seeking him, not just being a seeker, but being a giver. We just can't wait to get there and give him what he deserves. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 says it this way. It says, they entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Come on, everybody read that. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I wonder if Jesus is like every other baby that lived. Like he didn't care about the gold francs. He was just playing with the boxes. No babies like that. But he shows up and they give him, which means this, that our worship is more than our words. They just didn't show up and worship the Christ child with their words. They brought with them a worthy sacrifice of the child they were worshiping. 
So they set this example for us that it's so easy to get in the, get in the niche of Christianity that maybe at some point during the day you open up your phone app and you read a scripture. Maybe you whisper a five-second prayer out the door. And things are cozy. You show up in church a couple times a month. And then these magi come along and stand us all up. They show us all up. These cats, what if I told you, listen, next week, uh, we're not meeting here in Florence. We're meeting in Chicago. By the way, you can't take a plane there. If you want to come and worship together with us, you have to get a camel. Normally, we do about an hour and 10-minute service, two years. That's how long we're going to be there. Like, y'all would tap out. These guys didn't even know Jesus yet. Think about this. And they weren't going to worship the king on a throne. Here was their question. Where is the newborn king? What can a baby do for you? It's because they're focused. There's nothing wrong with getting from God. There's not. There is... We have needs that only God can meet. Sometimes it's such a one-sided, God, I need, God, I need, God, give me, God, help me, God, fix me. And that's okay. We need all those things from God. But the question, where do you go to give? Because the first seekers had in their mind, when we show up, it's not what he's going to give me, it's what I'm going to give him. And they didn't give him just something small, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the call to sacrifice is still the same, which is why Paul said in Romans 12 that our lives are to be a living sacrifice. Think about this. We read the scripture last week in 2 Corinthians. That here's the way Paul described Jesus coming as a baby, coming as the Savior of the world. He said this, He said that while he was rich, for our sakes, he became poor. That in his poverty, through his poverty, we might become rich. Jesus had the wealth of heaven, all the worship, and he left it all to come here for us. He left his place of being rich to become poor. That through his poverty, we might become rich. That we could become children of God. That we could find grace and hope and forgiveness and all the riches truly of heaven as a part of our life. But I want you to think about this. God is never willing, God, God will never ask us for something that he himself has not first given. You know why he can stand in front of you and ask and demand your best? Because he gave nothing less than his very best. Do you know why he can ask you for a big sacrifice? Because he himself gave a big sacrifice. You might say, man, if if God asked me to serve or if God asked me to give that much or if God asked me to do that, I I can't do it. I, I got too much going on. I can't make that level of sacrifice. If Jesus, who was rich, became poor for us because he made you rich, sometimes he'll call you to make a sacrifice that'll make you feel poor. But he paved the way by doing it first. Don't just be a seeker. Be a giver. Be a bringer. Because here's the craziest part of the story. Some of you know this, but this is the thing that always astounds me. Matthew 2.13, and we'll close here. Is after the wise men were gone, they lay out their gifts, they celebrate the Christ child. I mean, how long were they there for this two-year journey? Eight or 900 miles, they were like 20 minutes. All right, let's go home. They turn around, they leave, and as soon, they're, they're not even out the door yet. And an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. 
Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So the wise men aren't even out the door. This angel shows up, speaks to Joseph and says, hey, King Herod is trying to kill Jesus. You need to get him out of the area, which history tells us, literal history tells us that this happened. This guy, King Herod, was a real guy who really killed all of the children in that area two years and younger. In his effort to wipe out the newborn king, he killed any child. But Jesus wasn't there. And here's the question, watch this. If you had to leave your house today, right now, there was some emergency coming, some catastrophe headed our way, and you couldn't stay in Florence, Alabama, and you had to go to, the other, you had to, go to another nation, how many of you have the financial means to leave right now to make the journey and then stay in a foreign land for a couple years? Probably not many. Where did this young couple, 14 or 15 years old, get that kind of money? Because it just showed up in the form of worship. See, God will put resources in your path that we can resource his plan. God blesses us so we can truly be a blessing. Every time somebody serves here, now think about this. The wise men had no idea that God used their sacrifice in such a way to provide the resources for the rescue mission of Jesus. And sometimes when we give, we just don't think much about putting something in a bucket. Sometimes we don't think much about standing by a door, shaking somebody's hand. Maybe sometimes we don't really think much about holding a baby, but you'll never know how God will use your sacrifice to advance his kingdom. We'll never know on this side of heaven how God will take the small things we offer him and he will explode them and use them in big ways. But it will only happen first if you seek him and when you find him, if you're willing to bring something to him. Be a seeker. And be a bringer. This holiday season, let's take a cue from the wise man. Let's be the wise man. How many of you in this room would say, Pastor Steve, I'm, I'm, I'm not close at all. Or I'm pretty close. But no matter where you're at on that spectrum, how many of you in this room would say, Pastor Steve, I, I want to be a seeker. And I want to get closer than I am. Come on, if that's you, I want to get closer. I want you to lift a hand. Come on, just by faith, throw it up real high. I just want to be a seeker. I want to get closer. I want to know him more. Father, all over this room, I thank you for every hand, God, including my own. And I pray that, God, we would take you at your word. That, God, even though you're already with us, and, God, even though some of us in this room, God, we already belong to you by faith, God, we can all get a little closer. And so help us, especially during this Christmas season, to take our cue from the wise man to go to some extreme efforts to fix our focus and getting a little closer to you. Help us to push aside distractions, maybe to set down our cell phone, God, to walk away for a season from relationships, whatever it takes. God, draw us closer and help us take the steps to get a little bit closer. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Amen. God bless you guys, man. We'll see you next week for week three.